grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. When Peter took Jesus aside and rebuked him for saying that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again, Jesus rebuked Peter and astonishingly said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Lent, I believe, is the perfect time of our liturgical year to consider how we as sinners are determined to set our minds on the things of man rather than on the things of God. The things of God, of course, are mysterious and deep. But even more to the point, and on this side of death anyway, the things of God always lead to the cross. For man is a sinful being, and yet God, our creator, would have us be purged of our sin. The cross is the perfect depiction of what it must be like to be purged of our sin. Therefore, Jesus says to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. It follows then that it serves the devil's purposes for us to avoid the cross <clears throat> and remain in our sin. For sin diminishes our connection to Christ and our friendship with God. There is no sense in sugarcoating the truth about Satan, which is, and I'm speaking very plainly here, he hates you and he wants to ruin you through despair and the starvation of your soul. Now, we live in an age where belief in the devil is very, very slight, if it exists at all. No doubt the highfalutin intelligentsia of modernity finds it laughable when Christians who understand the plain manner of speaking in the Bible continue to insist that the devil is still a significant influence in our very troubled world, but don't you, for even one second, let that arrogance of modernity persuade you into thinking that there is not evil in the world or that the world's evil isn't driven by an intelligent being that makes himself the enemy of God. Nor should you ever entertain thoughts that he who makes himself God's enemy and has a large army of helpers perpetuating his unholy work in this world isn't very mindful of you personally and doesn't care to plot the destruction of your soul. It is, in fact, very useful to your salvation to be aware of the dangers of which there are many. And just as Jesus uses simple means to bestow salvation onto us, such as in the word spoken plainly and through the holy sacraments of the church. The devil also 
is able to use earthly means to draw us away from God and closer to the abyss, the nether gloom of eternal darkness. The devil is perfectly capable of using common everyday things to weaken our resolve to stay faithful to Christ. He can use music and entertainment, social media, crass humor, the internet, food and drink, politics, news networks, chat rooms, addictive substances, mood-altering drugs or narcotics. He can use our anger, our love for accusation of those who offend us, our appetite for gossip, our rush to judgment, our quick and thoughtless criticism of others, our lust, our greed, our pride. He can use these and many more things to keep us from acknowledging our sin and avoiding the cross. He tries desperately and succeeds masterfully in convincing us that repentance can be put off just a little bit longer, that sorrow for sins is a grief unneeded, and that sinful thoughts and desires are not really detrimental to our souls. <clears throat> now, you might be one of those that's too smart, too educated, too enlightened to believe in the devil and his invisible but menacing presence in your life. You might be far too modern to give in to such laughable nonsense. Interestingly, I had a very dear friend in the seminary that was too smart to believe in the devil. He was a great guy, very, very cerebral, very intellectual, and we all loved him. I loved him. But he was fiercely adamant that the idea of the devil was just too fantastical and antiquated to believe in. After graduating from the seminary and going on to ordination, I lost contact with my old pal. About seven or eight years later, I received word that he had very sadly committed suicide. Immediately, I remembered how for years he used to fight us over the doctrine of the devil, discarding it always as hogwash. I cannot help but think that if he had just trusted in the scriptures, trusted in the apostolic tradition of the church, trusted in those things that the Lord himself spoke about the devil, my friend could have understood that his mental anguish had its origin in the devil's plot to destroy God's kids. Then, understanding that it was not so much his failures, but the devil working on him, he might have taken refuge in the Lord's mercy, kindness, and protection, and he would not have despaired to such an extreme degree. But there are others, of course, even Christians, who are very cavalier in their attitudes about Satan's influence in their lives or in our world. There are pastors in every church and denomination that would never mention the devil in any of their sermons because they think talking about the devil makes them sound stupid and they are afraid to lose the respect of their congregations. But given how Jesus was so fierce in his remarks about the devil, 
how he called the devil the ruler of this world, how St. Paul referred to the devil as the God of this world, and how all four of the Holy Gospels and all of the New Testament authors warn us mightily about the devil's power and evil in our world, it's clear that we as Christians ought to remain vigilant and mindful that much of the stress we suffer in life and much of the anguish we endure in our interior lives is not so much a failure on our part as much as it is the work of something sinister that does not care or about us at all and in fact glories in our melancholy and sadness. I will treat this topic more on Wednesday when I present to you a reflection on Luther's fascinating and very highly useful concept of anfectum. But for now, it is enough for me to just simply remind you that when you are in a blue funk, when you are suffering an inexplicable angst of soul, when you are near to the sickness of self-loathing and you are standing on the rim of an abyss of dire loneliness as though the universe itself was rejecting you as unwanted, just remember those words of the Savior as he drew near to his own cross and all-encompassing darkness. Get behind me, Satan! As your pastor and as your fellow sojourner through this valley of the shadow, I urge you to take seriously the fundamental and life-giving truth that Jesus Christ, and please listen to me, I'm a little off script now. <laughs> Let me just pause for a moment to prepare you for this because this is so important. And please remember, I speak with authority, okay? You might think I'm a schmo. Because, I don't know, maybe I go to Walmart in my pajamas or something. And that's fine. But I'm up here now. And when I'm behind this pulpit, I speak with authority. And I want you to hear this, okay? This is the most important message of my entire sermon today. As your pastor and as your fellow sojourner through the valley of the shadow... I urge you to take seriously the fundamental and life-altering truth that Jesus Christ is not. He is not angry with you. Jesus Christ is not angry with you, but rather loves you, values you, cherishes you, has compassion for you, and intends a wonderful, wonderful future for you in his everlasting kingdom of unsurpassable peace and refreshment. He does not relish your sadness, and he absolutely does not want you to hate yourself. And he most certainly does not want you to be persuaded by the devil's lies, which are meant to darken your days, to discolor your experiences and diminish your enthusiasm for life and engagement in the world God created for your enjoyment. Excuse me. <coughs> oh, sorry about that. <coughs> Part of the Christian journey in this earthly life, no doubt, 
is learning how to hear what Christ is saying to you over the deafening noise and bombast of the devil who is trying to drown him out. Thanks be to God. We have the gospel, the truest and best medicine to our souls ever to be found. Thanks be to God for the Holy Scriptures which contain for us the purity of the gospel. And thanks be to God for the church which is given the authority of Christ to forgive sins and to bestow the blessings of the gospel on all who are ready to be done with the devil's lies and all his twisted, sick mind games. For it is the devil who tries to convince you daily that you are odd, different, out of place, undeserving of friends, and brought into this world only by accident or even mistake. But Jesus, who is our very, very dear and loving friend, says that the devil is a liar and a murderer from the beginning. In contrast to the devil, Jesus has a much, much different message for you. He says, you are so immensely loved and valued that I would lay down my life for you in order to save you and so that you and I can spend all of eternity together basking in each other's company and celebrating the gift of your life together in a banquet that never ends. So when the devil calls you worthless, unwanted trash, ask yourself this question. Would Jesus Christ, through whom and by whom the entire universe was created, he who is the everlasting prince of the heavenly host, and the Lord of all life, the second person of the holy and blessed Trinity, he who alone is both God and man, would he really stoop to suffer nakedness and shame for my sake on the cross, where his most precious blood spilled into the unlovely mud of this sinful world, if I were just worthless trash, the answer is, of course, no, he definitely would not. The truth is, Christ would only go to such extreme and absurd measures for those for whom he was himself profoundly sick with love. And this is exactly why St. Paul, himself a sinner extraordinaire, is so anxious for his readers to understand the wonders of God's amazing love in his astounding letter to the Romans, an utterly stupendous document where the gospel in all its purity flows in our hearts like the waters of Niagara, pouring over the hot, barren wastelands of the world's most forsaken desert landscapes. Yes, of course, of course, it is true. We are all terrible sinners. And I am the foremost, I assure you. And that is not just a pious thought on my part, by the way. It actually is true that I am the foremost of sinners. And indeed, it behooves all Christians everywhere to believe and accept the same for themselves. 
For if you are not the foremost sinner in every room that you should ever occupy, you still are not yet pinned to the cross that Christ intends for you. Understandably, we are not always able to see just how incredibly sinful we are, which is just another aspect of the devil's lies and sin's mastery over us. And it would be a very disingenuous life of faith indeed if we did not attempt with the Holy Spirit's aid a deep dive into the truth of our own wickedness but chose rather to ignore it for comfort's sake. So by all means, be sorrowful for your sins. Beat your breast and weep for those horrid transgressions that could never be undone. It is your duty as a follower of Christ Jesus to do so. But don't you dare despair. Don't you do that. Don't you dare, don't you dare let the guilt for sin you feel discolor your outlook on life or your trust in the Lord's personal love for you. Again, let the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans be your guide, for it has wisdom that could not be matched by 10,000 or even a million libraries full of books and scrolls written by the finest and most intelligent minds in the history of the world. Just to give you a small taste of what I mean, the apostle in chapter 3 of his wonderful epistle writes, For by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But, now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Absolutely marvelous, marvelous, beyond all telling. But no less copious is this outpouring of the gospel in today's lesson from Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been, listen to this. <laughs> Again, every once in a while I pause. Just to, you've got to hear this. This is. This is the bomb, okay? This is the bomb. Again, I'm off script. Okay, back to where I was. <clears throat> the beginning, the opening verses, Romans chapter 5. I hope you hear this. I hope you take ownership of it. I hope it lodges in your heart for the rest of your days. Are you ready? Because this is it. This is it. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith... We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you hear that? Do you understand that? You have peace with God. It is done. That peace has been accomplished for you by Jesus. You are at peace with God. You may not know it, but you are. And God is at peace with you. I guarantee it. That's what I meant when I said Jesus is not upset with you. 
God has made his peace with you through the blood of Jesus. I, I continue. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners. Did you hear that? In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. And all of this, my friends, all of this is just to say that that discomforting truth concerning our sin is a cross in and of itself. That's true. And the cross by nature is truly detestable to our frail human sensibilities. But given the immensity of the Lord's love for sinners, displayed for us graphically by his own lifeless body on the cross, what need is there really for us to avoid the cross? Let us therefore having shouted from the depths, I mean, these are Jesus' words, but they can be your words too. Get behind me, Satan. I'm not listening to you today. Forget about it. Let us therefore, having shouted from the depths, get behind me, Satan. I don't care what you think. Acknowledge our wretchedness and ask the Lord to help us. To just ask the Lord to help us avoid sin going forward. For those who are saved by Jesus must daily pine for the godly dignity he intends for them. And now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and your minds in the knowledge of Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Please rise for the offertory.